It's time for the Smart Money Questions Podcast with Matt Hausman. This is the show that provides you with a sound financial education and helps you avoid financial pitfalls. Make sure you are asking the right questions by listening to the Smart Money Questions Podcast. This is the Smart Money Questions Podcast. Walter Storholt alongside Matt Hausman once again. Matt is the founder of Old Security Group based in Westchester, Pennsylvania, an office in Newark, Delaware as well, but serving clients all throughout the country. You can find us online and listen to past episodes of the podcast. SmartMoneyQuestions.com is the place to go. And Matt, today we're talking about explaining it away. And very often we hear people try to make excuses or explain away some of their questionable financial decisions. And I want to talk about why these excuses usually don't hold water. So I've got a couple of specific examples for you, but I think we'll learn some broader concepts from each of these kinds of things. So when somebody wants to start their Social Security right off the bat, as soon as they can at the age of 62, the reason or the excuse in this case for doing so is often, well, you know, I paid into the system for years. I want to be sure that I get my money back before it goes bankrupt. And so that's why I'm starting it right off the bat at 62. Why is that a questionable financial decision to start it early? And also, why is that not a very good excuse? <laughs> well, you know, we've talked about this a, a couple of times, and, it, and I hear this all the time, is the idea, now this is just my opinion, but the idea that the politicians would actually allow Social Security to go bankrupt. And the fear that is in many people is based on some of the media outlets that are that are out there producing stuff that, quite frankly, is inaccurate. Many people are thinking that that means there is literally nothing that would be paid. Nothing would be paid out. Zero. It would just completely fall apart. But if you go back and you look at any of the Social Security statements that you have received, or if you go online, is that usually it's talking about upwards of 72, 74, 75% of your benefit will be paid by a certain date in the future in the event nothing has changed. So that even lets you know that even in the event that Social Security, quote, became insolvent, they still have revenues coming in that would go out to those that are currently receiving or will receive benefit. So the idea that it's just going to go bankrupt and it's not going to be there is completely inaccurate. Just the other day, I had someone in my office. I did a workshop on Social Security back in December. And specifically, I was talking about the changes that went into effect in 2015 and some of the questions that I had got based on the new tax plan that was being talked about at the time. And many people were afraid that Social Security and Medicare was going to be affected by that. And he came in the office and he said, you know, I, I took your advice because I always make the comment, listen, don't just listen to me like this is the truth. Google's your friend. Go out and research it. And he goes, I went out and I researched it and I realized what you're saying is right. Like this thing's not going to go bankrupt. There's no new no. changes that are happening with the tax plan. So the I, And he was thinking this exact thing. I'm retired. He retired around 60. I'm going to go and just collect it as soon as possible to get what I want. So you really want to think about that. Now, if you're in the situation that forced early retirement, you need the money. If there's a financial reason for that, that that's a last alternative, then maybe that's a different story. 
But if it's just the idea that I want to make sure I get all my money back, I really caution you do some research and also understand the rules. If you declare early and if you are still working, what those are, because, uh, making a wrong decision there could be drastic and it lasts with you forever. Yeah. I think that's uh, a situation that a lot of people unfortunately get into where you do have a few of these financial decisions in your life that once you flip the switch, there's really no undoing it. Whereas a lot of other things you can, you can, you know, you buy a bad stock, you can sell it and, and hit the reset button. You know, you make mistakes like that. You can, you know, in a way kind of undo some of those things, but some of these big decisions you know, when RMDs hit, when Social Security starts, all these kinds of things, once you make that choice, you know, pension selections, you know, whole, do you want it to pay out for both spouses or just one spouse? Those things you only get one shot at, so you got to make the right choice, and that is underscored nicely in the Social Security topic for sure. Another questionable financial decision that gets made a lot, Matt, would be when somebody's taking way too much risk with their money. Maybe a lot of people fall into that category. Usually the reason once it's revealed to them that that's the case and then they finally realize it or maybe they've known all along, they'll say something along the lines of, well, I feel like I'm behind in my savings and I needed to make up for lost time. And they don't realize that they're really, you know, correcting a bad mistake with another bad mistake. Correct. And, you know, making up for lost time, what exactly? I mean, they could be making a mistake that's going to create more time for them having to work. And that goes back to what you always hear me talk about. And that is position with purpose is how much risk are you taking and how much of your total assets are you taking with that risk? And then if your comment is, well, I'm behind in my savings. Are you looking to retire like next year, six months from now, you know, yesterday is just because what we've seen, especially over the course of the last year that the market in overall has really performed doesn't mean that's a time to think that it's going to continue to do that. I remember back in 05, 06, 07, or in the late 90s, when everyone just thought the market was printing money. You know, and we've been hearing about it for the last 10 years now, that the Fed's just printing money, blah, 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 inflation's going to go crazy, all that kind of stuff, right? Well, back in the day, late 90s, 05, 06, 07, it was that the market was just printing money. Man, you put it in, you put a dollar and you get three back. And the reality is that we don't know when a market correction is going to happen. We know that more than likely one will happen. And if we are subjecting ourselves to too much risk just to make up for lost time, you could be creating a situation. Walter, you just mentioned if you bought a stock and it was bad and you sell it and you can set the reset button, there's no resetting here. If you're taking on undue risk at an undue time of life, looking at when you're going to stop that paycheck or that's when I look at retirement and then there is a correction that happens, that value is now gone. And the reset time more than likely means you're going to you're going to have to work to actually make up what was lost. So you really want to analyze, okay, so you're behind, make sure you're doing what is needed to make up for that last time without taking on undue risk. Yeah, it's huge. And uh, that's why you've got to always keep these things in mind. The ability to undo or not undo bad decisions is huge. And so in these situations where you don't have a lot of that wiggle room, you've got to get the right answers sooner rather than later. And uh, sometimes there is a deadline involved there. And when it comes to taking risk, 
You've just got to be very careful and uh, get the questions right. When somebody has way too much money in cash, Matt, sometimes they'll explain that away with, well, you know, I lost a lot in 2008, which is valid. And they'll say, I don't want to go down that road again. So I'm going to camp out in cash and keep the money safe. But just as there's a thing as taking too much risk, well, being too safe is the other end of the spectrum. And that can be dangerous in its own way. You know, it's interesting. I literally just had someone in my office yesterday. That was exactly what she said. But she followed it up with, I know I'm being too conservative. And I said, oh, well, what makes you think that you're being too conservative? She goes, well, because I know I've missed out on the market for the last like five, six, seven years. And I was like, oh, so really having too much money in cash, you haven't gotten over 08 yet. You kind of have, but then you haven't addressed it. She goes, well, yeah, now that, that you, that's exactly, you know, what's going on. Well, when do you think you're going to address it? Oh, well, that's a good question. That's really the follow up that comes from this is if we're recognizing or I don't want to go down the road of 2008 cash money just sitting in cash. I think right now, like Ally Bank and American Express Bank, they're paying like one and a quarter percent. I mean, if you think about the last like eight years, that's pretty doggone good, right? But one and a quarter percent is not going to outpace inflation. And the reality is some money needs to be invested that will give you the opportunity to outpace inflation. Not all of it, but some of it. And if a large portion of your money is sitting in cash. I mean, now don't get me wrong. If you've got, if you've got 30 years of cash and 30 years of income stored away in cash, maybe there isn't a need for you to move, but I haven't had someone in my office that that's the situation. And right. so you really want to analyze, don't be so fearful of 08. Yeah. 08 was terrible. 08 was bad. Early 2000s, 9-11, that was bad. But if all of your money isn't there, then you have the opportunity of time to go and go through that. The reality is, since the Great Depression, the market has moved in an upward trajectory, although it has been kind of shaky, like a heartbeat, but it's always kind of moved up. And so you want to have some money that gives you that opportunity for outpacing inflation, because inflation is not going to go away at all. We were talking in our last uh, podcast about longevity. And you have the O2 Tahoe. I have an O3 Tahoe, right? right? 200 and some thousand miles. Now, when that Tahoe was brand new, do you happen to know what it stickered for? Ooh. Or what yours did? No, no. I got it used, so I don't know. I don't know what it stickered for. But it does have all the bells and whistles. So it was okay. It was probably a pretty penny. I don't know. Back in O2. I know the new Tahoes are what? 50,000, 60,000 probably. Something like that, maybe 70. more. Oh, there's seventy. Dude, if yours if yours had all the bells and whistles right now, you couldn't walk on a lot and walk away with a brand new 2018 Tahoe for less than seventy thousand. Oh my gosh! I'm and making, I can I'm tell gonna you, make this thing last as long as I can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, think about that. My mine has all the bells and whistles, but one does not have a sunroof. Yeah, and mine retailed for right around thirty five thousand dollars. That means it's doubled. In 16 years. Wow. Inflation's not leaving. And so you just want to make sure that you have not all of your money, an amount that you're comfortable with and that you're sustaining your lifestyle where you're, you have money in conservative positions to, to stabilize that cash flow that's needed and then have monies that are invested. And then you want to really analyze the amount of risk that you're wanting to take. Don't allow fear. Remember fear, false evidence appearing real 
to weigh so heavy that you don't take advantage of the opportunities that are there. We're talking about on the podcast today explaining away questionable financial decisions and analyzing why some of the popular excuses for those decisions don't hold water often. And when somebody has no idea what they're invested in, Matt, they come into their into your office, they throw down some statements, and you start asking them questions about their investments, and they're kind of like, I, I, don't, I don't really know what's in there. It's just a collection of stocks or mutual funds, or it's just a, you know, who knows what else might be in that statement. The excuse sometimes is that, you know, well, financial stuff just isn't really my thing. So just be happy there's something there to work with in the first place, you know. <laughs> but that's legitimate. Like financial stuff isn't a lot of people's thing. So it does kind of feel like, okay, well, I'm just going to pick this thing because it seems to make sense. Or, hey, we talked about this in the financial grandparenting a couple of weeks ago. You know, it's like my grandmother picked out stocks for us when we were kids as gifts because they were things we were interested in, like Hershey or, you know, Harley-Davidson. Now, they picked pretty reputable, stable companies for the most part, but it wasn't like they were looking at P&E ratios and, you know, the other alphabet <laughs> right. soup ways of analyzing stocks. They just sort of had this basic belief in dividends, dividend-paying stocks. That was sort of the barometer that they used when they got those gifts. And they are financial people, and that was their barometer. So for non-financial folks... Why isn't that a good excuse? Because it sounds like a pretty legitimate one. And you know what? I hear that all the time. And the biggest thing that what I would say to someone when they say that to me is, well, let me ask you something. If, if you make many financial mistakes and considering money is what makes our world go round, how are you going to correct the mistakes if you don't at least have some skin in the game and understand it conceptually and where it all fits in? And usually at that particular time, unless they say, well, you know, my rich uncle has already named me sole beneficiary, <laughs> then there's the recognition of at least walking through the process of conceptually understanding it. You know, we were just talking about the Tahoe. We talked about it last time. I'm an absolute mechanical zero across all platforms. My wife even knows that, you know, I can clean the dishes, but don't ask me to put the dishwasher in like that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. But I at least want to know when I'm, we're in the process of looking at remodeling our kitchen, I don't understand everything that they're going to have to do to make it look and function the way we want it to. But I at least know I want to be involved to understand what they're going to do and why at a macro level. And with the finances and making sure that what you have is fitting into what you're wanting to accomplish with your money is so important where that excuse is really just procrastination or maybe a fear that I will never understand it. And, you know, we talked in the last podcast about longevity and I mentioned one of the the clients that has been with us now about six years, three, four years into retirement. And they've been very consistent at coming to the different events that we've had and the different talks and listening to the podcast to educate themselves to where when they made that statement of what we had done and how it was going to impact them, they recognized then the value that that excuse is not one that is strong enough to not walk down that path because it is your money. You know, everyone really gets upset when we feel we've been taken, right? Definitely. And so why would we want to allow someone to take us 
with our own money that then can set us back potentially years from making poor financial decisions. And so that excuse, my kids would love this. They're probably not listening, but they would because I, I never let them off the hook, <laughs> right? Is let's really get to the root of it. What's the real reason that I'm not a financial person? Okay, well, you know, my goal is to talk you through the process like a sixth grader. What was that old show called? Are you smarter than a sixth grader or a fifth grader fifth or something grader. like that? Yeah, fifth grader. Yeah, that's right. And I read this article the other day, and it was from another advisor, and he said, this is why people don't like financial advisors. And it was because many times people feel, and advisors do this, that they talk at such a high level that the layperson can't understand. And I would tell you that if that's what you're thinking, well, financial stuff, it's just not what I do. And I understand that is look for someone that can explain it to you where it makes sense to you. And if you don't have someone like that, keep searching for where the person will take the time to walk you through why they're recommending or why what you have now makes sense into what you're wanting to accomplish and have it be simple. The reality is, you mentioned earlier, stocks and P&Es and everything. There's no reason to ever bring that up to a client unless the client really knows and understands it. But we can talk conceptually, Hershey or IBM, you know, those are, those are strong, well-established companies that have, we can look at a track record or something like that. And we can speak very, very frankly without getting into the minutiae and many times that's why people don't like finances is because it seems complex to them. But in reality, when it's explained correctly, it can be pretty simple and in turn be beneficial. Kind of like the contractor that my wife has decided that we're probably going to use, you know, she's kind of let me know that <laughs> is was because when he came in, he was, oh, here's another thing. And this article about advisors talked about it. He was open to our ideas. He took our ideas and he saw how he could architecturally and from an engineering perspective, make them happen and was able to explain it quite frankly to where, you know, a third grader could understand it like myself. And so, and then when we got his plan, his estimate, it was two pages, but I noticed that everything was just bulleted out based on what we had talked about. And it was so simple to understand. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. So uh, I know I kind of went off on a tangent there. And sometimes I do. Everyone knows I like to talk. But that excuse, we don't want to feel got. We don't want to feel like someone has taken advantage of us, especially with our own money. So I would strongly encourage you to educate yourself and be willing to go down and go through that learning curve of getting to understand what you have and why you have it and how it's going to benefit you long run. Hugely important to keep those kinds of things in mind. And it's okay. We'll let you talk. It's your show after all here on Smart Money Questions. So <laughs> Hold on. Let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll hop, hop back on for one more question. One last one here, because I think this is a good one to, uh, to end it on. Because this happens, and I think it's worth talking about. And this is, as we're talking about excuses and questionable financial decisions, somebody doesn't want to leave their broker or their advisor even when they know that they should. They'll often say something like, I've been working with that person for a really long time. I don't want to hurt the friendship that we've developed. 
that's a realistic situation, something that people go through. And if that's a really tough one to kind of, again, it always comes back to emotions, in my opinion, at least, separating the emotions out from maybe the, the practicality of what you should do in that financial situation. You know, and it's so true. It's all about emotion, especially when the client has already recognized the need for a move. And the easiest way that I can describe, I had to go through this with one of the vendors we used a couple years back. And I'd been with that vendor for better part of like six years. And for the time period that I had used them and they were integral in our, in our growth, it was warranted. I mean, they provided us with ample support and it was a good relationship, but sometimes, you know, you come to a point and we recognize this, that we had to go in another direction with where we were wanting to take our, our business and our practice. And, you know, I didn't do that for nine months. I did not want to have that uncomfortable mm-hmm. conversation that I knew I was going to have to have. And I put it off for nine months. But finally, I recognized I'm doing myself more harm than good. And I had that conversation. And I will tell you, it was, you know, they say, well, you know, you got, you got to call them, you got to do the right thing. It was tough. It was a tough situation. But here's the most interesting part was when we moved over to the other vendor and we started implementing what this vendor was directing us to do, the most amazing, well, you wouldn't say it was amazing. It was probably to be expected is our business grew three times in one year what it had done the previous year with the old vendor. I think it was a good move. I think so. So what in the world does that have to do with someone wanting to leave their advisor or their broker is we all have different advisors, different brokers have different specialties. And when, when you as a client are recognizing the need to move is I'm not going to sugarcoat it and say, especially if you have a personal relationship with the advisor or the firm, that that's not going to be potentially an uncomfortable situation, but it's your money and you want to recognize I need to do what's best for me and be willing to have that uncomfortable conversation that has to happen to get you where you want to go, especially if you're recognizing that situation. I had someone in my office the other day that was going over this exact thing, but there was another caveat to it. And I don't know why, but this has happened about eight times over the course of the last 90, 120 days. And what the situation was, is the friendship was with the firm. It wasn't with the advisor because the original advisor had retired. And so they had, there had one person actually used this language. There was another advisor that actually inherited them. And it just wasn't the same, but they felt an obligation to the firm and they had the friendship with the firm. They knew a lot of the support staff and just quite frankly, I said, well, do you believe it's time to break up? I mean, is it time to have that conversation and are you willing to do it? And I said, you don't have to answer me right now. As a matter of fact, you need to go home and have that conversation amongst yourselves, husband and wife, and decide what the best thing to do is. And they ended up recognizing that they did have to do it and they had the uncomfortable conversation. But I would, I would go back and not to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is going to be something that you really have to think about and then be willing. If you want to make that phone call. No, I've had other people that were so upset that they were beyond 
even though they had had a friendship with the advisor, they were beyond the business relationship had gotten so sour that it didn't matter about the friendship. So they were just, I'm out. But others that actually have that friendship is there's a difference between a friendship relationship and a business relationship. And it's important to understand the distinction. You should still be able to have the friendship if the person is truly a friend while moving the business relationship. That's a good way but to But understand at it. it's going to be, it potentially, if you want to have that conversation, no different than my situation, it might be tough to have that, quote, breakup. I had someone re- say this to me a long time ago about this exact subject that, you know, remember when you had to break up with that first girlfriend yeah. <laughs> or first boyfriend? Yeah. You know, it was, you know, it's just, it's, it's tough, Fe- but fe- it's, it feels a little bit like the end of the world, you know, Oh yeah, life will never oh, be goodness. the same. <laughs> right. You know, but it comes down to it's your money. And if it's your money and you're already recognizing those situations that you need to leave cowboy up, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> have that conversation because it's, you've worked long and hard for it and you're still going to have, uh, of many years of wanting that money to perform for you. Better to have it now than later, that is for sure. You'll have a lot worse consequences later on if you don't address the problems earlier. There's lots of different sayings and things like that that we could tap into, but I think everybody probably gets the point. And so just make sure that you're being very careful about all of these things. Well, hopefully that's helpful. Those are some of the questionable financial decisions that we see often get made and some of the excuses for why those decisions get made. And I think Matt did a pretty good job of kind of uncovering why these things don't usually hold water. At least uh, you you drained those responses, those reasonings pretty well, Matt, and uh, kind of uncovered why those things aren't usually the the right way to go, the right direction. Doesn't mean that, you know, some of these decisions might make sense for some people. Yeah, maybe there is somebody who taking Social Security at age 62 works for. Maybe there is somebody who should have more money in cash than the average bear because of their particular situation. But as a general rule of thumb, as a as what we see very often, it's the fact that a lot of these times, these are mistakes that get made. And uh, just make sure that you are doing these decisions for the right reasons. That's what we're trying to drive home today. So I can get off my soapbox. We're done, right? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Jump off. Jump off. You're good. <laughs> You're good. Uh, if you want to get in touch with Matt and uh, have a conversation with him off the soapbox, off the air, you know, off the podcast, you can have a one-on-one talk about your financial situation. 610-719-3003 is the number to directly get in touch. That's 610-719-3003. Or always online at smartmoneyquestions.com. That's smartmoneyquestions.com. We'll talk to you again on the next podcast. This is the Smart Money Questions podcast, and what we're going to be talking about next time is stress and retirement, how you can counteract some of the stress that you might be facing in your retirement years. This can be a really helpful podcast, especially if you do feel any sort of stress in your financial life and you're near retirement or already into retirement. We're going to give you some ways to alleviate some of that stress. That's coming up next time on Smart Money Questions. Smart Money Questions. 